Welcome to Make Life Click. Together, we're exploring a new approach to online community based on real life, not best life. Established upon a foundation of trust and accountability, our vision is to become a social center point, a cooperative connecting a network of people and partners who are committed to having a positive impact on people's well-being, both online and offline. Find out more and get involved at www.makelife.click. Welcome back to the Make Life Click podcast, the MLC. And um, this is the first podcast in a while because of um, school holidays. Um, so I'm really, really pleased to be back. And I'm particularly pleased to be joined by Dan Flanagan today. Hi, Dan. Hello. Dan, I'm going to hand straight over to you just to um, kick things off. So just tell us a little bit about who you are and maybe something around what's inspiring you at the moment. I'm Dan Flanagan. I am 47, or just turned 47, even though I look much, much younger, so people tell me. Um, I run an organisation called Dad the Soul, which is a grassroots non-profit that I set up about five years ago that centres on battling social isolation and loneliness and dads. What inspires me? Um, interesting people. So one of my, my sort of major hobbies is listening to the biographies or watching um, the biographies of not just famous people but remarkable people. So that can ever, that can be anything from you know grassroots activists, politicians, criminals, musicians, anybody that's come from essentially nothing has got fire in their belly and they're set out to make uh, a mark in the world. So there's that. Um, Another big inspiration of mine is I managed to get back up to the, the Tate Modern last week after a, a, about a year and a half, and that is my mm. spiritual home. I can actively, you know, get lost in there for a day just wandering around and soaking it all up. So, yeah, there's art, there's, there's interesting people, and I suppose the, the other thing is decent music. And when you say decent music... Ah, what does, what's, what's decent music mean to you? This podcast may be very short, so uh, yep. yeah, careful of the answer you give. Very, what decently? I'm an old school hip hop fan, primarily funk and soul as well. I went to uh, my first festival this weekend, just gone, and it was lovely to be outside. I took my shoes and socks off and just danced with loads of strangers in the middle of the afternoon <laughs> um, to a couple of DJs and. Yeah, that was that was spiritual. So I'm a, I'm a funk soul brother, for want of a better word. I've got a son who's 14, and he's just started listening to what to me is a lot more kind of old school stuff. So he's been listening to the Beastie Boys. He's okay. been yeah. he's been listening to the Gorillas. Yep, um, lots of other stuff too, and he's also been get back into uh, uh, records too. So. Yeah, I've been myself sort of reliving some of my past in that respect. But that sounds like a really interesting mix, Dan, particularly your, your um, enjoyment of taking your socks off and dancing with a load of strangers. I think we're starting to get a good um, kind of image of of, of Dan. <laughs> as, as the weird old man that people tend to avoid <laughs> at festivals. Yeah, yeah. So that okay. all it, it, no, it, it was. it was. I was so looking forward just to getting outside and dancing again. Um, you know, the, 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 it was quite a small festival. You know, there wasn't thousands of people, but it was just so nice to be out outside and dance and be free. And it's something that I've enjoyed for years, but 
obviously you get older, you have your family and work commitments, those opportunities narrow down. And then the last 16 months, they narrow down even more. So let's talk about the last sort of 16 to 18 months. How's life been different for you? It's completely gone in its head because before COVID, I was five, six days a week on uh, working on my non-profit. Primarily, we were events-based. Obviously, that got knocked on its head. So I had to go and find a job. And that was after, I think, five years or you know six years of self-employment. Going back into the employment market was terrifying. You know, mm. trying to find somewhere that was family flexible. You know, because I've got a nine-year-old son that I co-parent. So the ability to do nine to five, Monday to Friday, just isn't workable for me. Um, I, I need that freedom. And also I need the ability to go and expand and create and have, you know, meet interesting people. So I'm very fortunate in the role that I was able to secure um, that basically ticks all those boxes for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the, the challenges of, you know, anybody that's been a parent over the last you know year and a half having to homeschool, and I think the first few weeks or the first few days, should we say, of lockdown, you know, I ordered all the stationery, put together lesson plans, um, did everything I was supposed to, rapidly went yeah. out the window, rapidly, <laughs> you know. Um, and something we, we've spoken to just about off air about vinyl, I, you know, I started finding other things I could do with my son. So I, I got categorised as musical appreciation. He was able to look through my vinyl collection, pull out anything that he thought was interesting, and I'd play it for him, and then maybe tell him the story behind the band or when I brought the record. Um, we rediscovered our love of reading. You know, my, my son's a, a mad keen football fan, so seven days a week he'll be on, he'll be kicking a ball. And because of lockdown, obviously that was restricted, but we ended up having some lovely times where we were sat on the either side of the sofa reading giggling ourselves giggling to ourselves and then you know sharing bits of the story that each of us are going into um mm. that was a massive eye-opener because we just we've never done it we you know we read together but never on separate books and discuss you know the, the love of books so that was really really kind of lovely mm. that's amazing let's just talk about dad lasol um what does dad lasol mean what does it mean um yeah so yeah, I, I think if I, when I first heard about Dadlasol, I obviously immediately thought Dallasol. Yeah, um, I know that there's a strong affiliation with music. Um, yep. So where, where, yeah, what does Dadlasol mean? Why did you choose that as a name? Right. Well, primarily there is obviously the influence of Dallasol. So there's two reasons. Dallasol in Spanish means from the soul. Dadlasol, cod translation from the dad, but it was around the. Delosol were all part of this uh, tribe called, called the, the Native Tongues. It was them and tribe called Quest and Leaders in New School. And they brought a completely different view into hip-hop at the time. They, the, the use of sampling, you know, it, it wasn't just gold chains, materialistic things. It was really about freedom of expression and not mattering where you came from. It really was a state of mind where, where you were at. So I, given my, my love of music and my love of, you know, had puns and brand names when I was starting up the organisation. I just needed something that that would work. And it was through, I was having a pun competition with one of my friends. 
Um, and that came up and I thought, you know what, that's really good. I'm having mm. it. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a link to the music, but I just think it, it resonates with a, a certain audience. You know, if you get the reference immediately, yeah. that there, there's a relationship there. And when I started, I wasn't thinking about, you know, building a, a brand, but that's almost what it's become with the events and the, we just launched some, you know, merchandising and stuff like that. It, it, it works. There's, there's a statement there, and that's what I um, really stand behind. Yeah, yeah. I think it really does um, generate intrigue. Um, so even if you don't know what Dadler Soul actually is, it causes you to want to find out more. You've you've got a background in. Forgive me if I get this wrong, Dan. In yep. marketing. Yeah. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about what you've done sort of prior to Dadler Soul and 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 how that's enabled and equipped you particularly to do the more as you put it kind of branding side of things um so my yeah my background i started in sales i was always very creative um at school but had no frames of of reference um from an employment i didn't do very well in traditional education it didn't suit me it was only when i was in my 40s i was diagnosed as severely dyslexic and dyspraxic and it sort of understood why I couldn't sit in a classroom and concentrate and take notes like everybody else around me. Um, I went, yeah, I went from sales. I went into, I became a PR. A couple of friends of mine way back when got a Prince's Trust grant to launch a record label um, when we were in our early 20s. And I just started doing marketing for them. This was the early days of, you know, MySpace mm, and yeah. social media. So I just found that, you know, I was having conversations with people all over the world about the label I thought you know there is something in this and I managed to build a career out of it there, there was no formal structure those days it was just hit it and hope um yeah I went into PR traditional PR became a, an account director um more of a digital role yeah as that sort of grew up so very wide a range of clients cancer research luxury lifestyle bands um i ended up being a, a senior analyst for an international agency looking after people like barclay card and you know spending three four hundred million quid a year but that was in a i found that in in a, in a corporate world and having everything on paper it is what uh, you know you've kind of um what's the word progress to as a man you know you, you you rise up the career ladder but it really really didn't re resonate with me but um there was a hole there but I didn't understand what that hole was and I knew I didn't fit in the corporate world but it's very hard to try and escape that when you know you've got a nice salary and you've got family commitments and stuff like that how did you know that when you used the term, it didn't it didn't resonate with me, and you you just knew it wasn't for you. What what did that feel like? Lonely. It felt I was constantly an outsider. I had to almost present as a a, a different person. Hmm. But I knew, you know, I I was very fortunate to have that role. So it was kind of a sort of just shut up and take it on the chin. And then a couple of things happened. I read an amazing book uh, by a guy called Howard Luck, uh, Howard Luck Gossage, who was a uh, a marketing man in the 
sort of 50s and 60s in the States. So if you've ever seen Mad Men, mm-hmm. um, he was based around those times. But what he did is really reject Madison Avenue. And he's up in San Francisco and started using his skills for the betterment of humanity. So he was one of the people that created Friends of the Earth, for example. And he'd sit and have conversations with, you know, Timothy Leary, the, the Godfather of LSD, or the Black Panthers, or, you know, all of the student radicals. And I was reading his work, and uh, the name of the book is The Only Fit Job for a Grown Man is to Change the World. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, and I remember reading it, and I'd just come back from a pitch up at Bartley Card HQ in the city, so big swanky building. And I'd, I'd been presenting to a load of stockbrokers. And I was thinking, this is horrible. This is not who I am. Why am I exhausted at giving my ideas to people that basically make money or have too much money and make more money and don't do very good things with that money? So, yeah, I, I quit. Also around that town, my, my dad was very ill and he passed away. And it, it made me really reflect on who I was and who I wanted to be, you know, through the the wonders of having this this corporate lifestyle has a downside on the family life. It means you're commuting all the time. It means you're not present. It means pressure's always there. Yeah. And actually that had impact on the family that I just didn't realise at the time. Just trying to put myself as much as I can, Dan, into your position back in that time, because on one hand, the experience that I've had with with brands and marketing, and I would I would almost <laughs> define myself in some respects as a bit of a marketer's dream in that I'm very drawn to brand. I'm very intrigued by it. Um, when I was at uh, university, <laughs> I wrote a dissertation. I can remember that I think I termed, I don't know why I like it, I just do. And I've just been really fascinated by that affiliation that people have or some people have between themselves and stuff and, and things. And that's often... Yep for reasons that you can't necessarily put into words. But as part of that, you can end up in a position where through marketing, through what you see on TV adverts, everything, you're told who you are, you're told who you could become, rather than it's enabling you to find your own sense of identity and who you are. I imagine, Dan, that back in that time, whilst in many other ways, it's a really difficult time for you, but also quite an enlightening time, there came a point where in terms of personal identity, if I can call it that, you probably felt like you were walking some kind of a line. It's like, who am I? Am I this person who's been changed by the corporate? What is that mean? No, that's not me. But without that, well, who am I then? Tell us a little bit about what was going on for you in that respect. Um, I got really ill um, playing this role and it was, I think I was so stressed. My my son gave me chicken pox for the it was the second time, and chicken pox as a grown up is horrible. Yeah, um, but it it confined me to barracks for two weeks, and I couldn't leave the house. And I realised then that um, I played with my son a lot more than I had done in probably the the, the previous few months. And he loved having me around and I, I managed to see this completely different world. And I'm thinking, why am I sacrificing these opportunities? You know, as a as a parent, especially as a working parent, and you know, sometimes maybe as primarily as a man, 
you, you can become secondhand in your children's life. You get to hear about the stuff that they did, you know, round the dinner table rather being than actually being part of it. Yeah. And yeah, so that was again, he was a bit of a catalyst to, you know, leave the corporate world and just, you know, I, I want to be around for the school runs. I, I want to be around, you know, for play dates. I want to see more of my life, through my life and through, you know, through my son's eyes rather than just being the, the fellow that comes back and occasionally puts them to bed and that he's yeah. got to play with on a Saturday, but doesn't really know because he's never there. Yeah. How did you turn that inner realisation into external action it was actually my ex-wife um when i was when i got ill she was just like blatant this is the reaction this is you know we're fed up of having you tired and stressed you need to get out of there and so i'd had all those inner voices about you know i don't fit in i don't want to do this anymore but I would never say it out loud because it's a really scary thing to go, you know, I'm going to leave a very safe occupation that I've been working for for many years and give it all up. Um, but, yes, yeah, so she you know, thankfully gave me the kick up the backside to it. And actually, I think it was something that the universe wanted to happen. I'm a big believer is, you know, once you, you tune out the crap, if I'm allowed to say that word, the you know, different experiences happen. You, you yeah. open yourself up. And within, I, I thought initially, I'll just have a three-month sabbatical. I'd get some rest. I'll get well. You know, I hadn't dealt with my dad's death very well. I did, you know, ignored it um, because I'm a man and I don't deal with grief and I certainly wouldn't talk to people about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was all impacting on me. But as soon as I, um, I quit, I think the... The, the Monday afterwards or something, my son started nursery school and they were looking for volunteers. And I said, oh, you know, I'll volunteer. This will be great. You know, we're very fortunate. We live in Worthing just by the beach. And I had an opportunity to do beach school with a load of three and four-year-olds where we took them down for the day. But we don't have many dads doing this sort of thing. And we were down yeah. there on a Monday morning and I was dinosaur hunting, right, with these kids. And it was a Monday morning. And I'm thinking, you know, Last week, I would have been in a status meeting, standing up, talking about the stuff, all the problems, looking at spreadsheets. And now I'm having these wonderful conversations with these children. I'm never going back. How did you, Dan, during that time, I mean, I've heard conversations and been part of conversations in the past where it's been suggested that people aren't afraid of losing their jobs, though that's what they might say what they're afraid of is not being able to pay their bills. How did you deal at that time? How did you approach the tension between knowing that the life you had had was not something that fitted and that you did not want to go back, back to. And then this realization that actually at at that moment, being on, on the beach dinosaur hunting with three and four year olds as part of an educational thing, this was, kind of it sounds like it was pretty eye-opening to you and it felt like you were coming to the realization that there was something new and exciting potentially for how did you how did you reconcile that with having to pay the bills and money and 
and and being responsible in that yeah. respect well the um you know when my dad passed away i got some money so that that gave us the freedom for those that you know that couple of months off just to have some you know bandwidth to be able to pay the bills but i knew that i'd, I'd be able to get a job i'd never been not able to get a job you know um and then a, a crazy thing happened two or three weeks into a couple of crazy things um I got approached by a music production company that were putting on gigs that had seen some of the blogs I'd started writing and asked me to do some freelance work for them. So suddenly, you know, I was getting paid to interview bands that I was really into, like the fun-loving criminals and um, ocean colour scene and stuff like that. I was thinking, great, you know, I can, as a midlife crisis goes, it's that's kind of cool. Um, but then there was one particular occasion i was if people are aware of you know worthy they'll know the art center st paul's and i was wandering past there and i thought i'm going to pop in for a coffee because you know it's a tuesday afternoon and i can do i don't have to work from any you know prescribed spot and i was in there and there was a chap in the corner that looked kind of lonely and i'd kind of made it one of my things to go and talk to strangers you know your mum always told you not to talk to strangers but i'm an advocate of doing that and I, I was talking to this chap and he he was really passionate about disruption the the social care industry that he was in you know foster caring and the more he was talking i was like dude you really need to meet my wife she feels exactly the same way um i ended up putting them together he was starting new agent he gave my wife her dream job so she went back to work full time which allowed me to take the, the foot off the brake and do more of the childcare. So we almost reversed our roles because her career had taken a, a back seat through the, you know, the first couple of years of my son's life. So we were able to, yeah, just transform our roles really. Yeah. Yeah. And, to, and within that sounds like you, you were following a sense of intuition, intuition and instinct and good stuff was starting to happen, which I guess then created a momentum. Absolutely, which, which then led towards Dadless Soul. So, how how did Dadless Soul itself come about? A bit previous to that, the, during the the first couple of weeks, I was doing this you know music production work, and I'd been blogging about my story about being you know a young dad. There was nothing out there at the time that actually resonated with me. I started getting more and more dads coming to me, and I thought actually this blog is bigger than me. So that became an online magazine called Don't Believe the Hype, uh, another old school hip hop reference. Yeah. Um, so that that I thought, well, that you know, there, there's potentially a, a bit a business here because we started to being approached by brands that wanted to work with us, and then wearing my my marketing and my PR hat, I was thinking, okay, you know, we we were getting these brands coming to work with us, all their PR agents giving us briefs, and they were terrible. I was like, I can do this better myself. So actually formulate a, a business to go and work with brands. Um, so we went with Disney, Marvel, uh, BMW, Pretty Green, you know, Liam Gallagher's fashion label. So that was all bubbling away. Um, you know, around that time, I moved over from Brighton to Worthing, didn't know anybody. And I had this idea to put on an afternoon rave just for all the people like me that were fed up of not having a, a social life because you couldn't get a babysitter, you know? Yeah. 
I'd been going to these gigs as part of my promotion work and I'd been seeing people on the dance floor that I was starting to see on the school run. But I said, oh, you know, so, you know, where's your other half? Oh, they're at home because, you know, we can't ever go out uh, as a couple. So I think, you know, there's something again here. So I took over St Paul's again, the, the, the venue, and created something called Tot Rocking Beats. And invited some of my mates that were DJs, brought in some soft play. And the idea is that we have a great party. We can have, come and have a drink. The kids can be occupied. Everybody get together on the dance floor and see what happened. First event, 450 people turn up. It sells out. So just before that, I'm like a 13-year-old schoolgirl wondering if anybody's going to come to my birthday party. Open up the door. They're queuing around the block. Um, and the question starts, around, when's the next one? When's the next one? Um, we end up doing 30 of them around Sussex to crowds between, you know, 500 and 1,000 people each turn. Um, so I'm running the magazine. Starting, Top Rocking has taken off. You know, we're getting approached to summer festivals, um, which is lovely, again, as a midlife, you know, uh, crisis man. But then one of the posts that I'd written um, about leaving my job was, and I, I'm going to quit my job. Um, well, no, what was it called? It was something about how to quit your job and start a revolution. That had got in the hands of uh, the people that run the, ha- the Happy Startup at School, which is a yeah. group of purpose-driven entrepreneurs. And they do this wonderful summer camp for entrepreneurs from all over the all over Europe, basically. And I was invited there. Um, but, yeah, great. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm terrified of this but this is a new experience why not i spent um a long weekend in the woods doing all kinds of weird and wonderful things with these people just having really open conversations with them and that drew me to the you know the world of being purpose-driven as opposed to being profit-driven yeah so i came out there almost a changed man to be i think you know you know what can i do to help people and i think you're right you know, I can get 400 people at a rave. What happens if they each bring a tin of beans or a bag of pasta with them? You know, suddenly we can build, we can feed a lot of families. So we, I started doing that. So it was all like afternoon raving with a social conscience. We did toy drives for victims of domestic violence. So, you know, unfortunately, Christmas, um, a lot of people have to leave their houses quite quickly because it's, um, you know, the, the violent situations. But yeah. the kids, they don't know where Father Christmas knows where they'd lived. So I was thinking, I'm very fortunate to be in this community that can pay to go raving. Why don't you just bring some of their toys, you know, buy an extra present? So we started doing really nice things like that. Then we, um, actually there was another, you know, talking to strangers moment where I was sat again in St Paul's. It's, it must be my spiritual home. And this little old lady who I found out was 97 years old sat beside me in a meeting and just started talking. Her name was Vera Chalmers. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. But three or four hours later, we're still talking. You know, this woman had such an amazing history. She It's almost like talking to somebody that worked at Downton Abbey, you know, with the upstairs, downstairs stuff. And I was like, you know, what are you doing New Year's Eve? You know, because she's outlived all her family and friends. She's nothing. I was like, do you fancy coming raving? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> um so we put her on stage 
a DJ and she became the world's oldest ever DJ. And she dropped World Meet Again by Vera Lynn and had a thousand people sing back to her. And I was thinking, you know, we can't go out because we can't get babysitters, but there's loads of old folks that probably want to go for a dance and maybe don't have their family nearby. Yeah. Um, again, they can't go out. The same question came arise. There's a, a wonderful organisation in Brighton called Stay Up Late and Gig Buddies. They work with adults with learning difficulties, again, that want to go out, but can't. You know, imagine if you're you're 20 years old and you like to go raving, but you've got downs. You can't go out in the evening because your support worker clocks off at six o'clock. So they they match people to become a gig buddy. So I started working with them and we had these amazing events where we'd have people with learning difficulties, the elderly, and then young families all raving together in the in the afternoon, which is it, it was a really, really lovely thing. But outside of that, you know, I'm running the magazine, bit of I'd still have my my time with my son where I'd feel that I was quite lonely or I felt like a failure. You know, I wasn't being a good enough parent. And I was thinking, you know, I was wandering around the park on a Saturday and just seeing all these blokes doing exactly the same thing. Or, you know, we'd go to soft play and you'd see men just on their phones. Yeah. I think there's there's got to be something here. So I took the the soft play and the, the DJ equipment, talked to one of my friends into giving us his office for the Saturday, um, one Saturday and just put on a play date. And I think we had 13 or 14 dads turn up same amount of kids they run absolute riot you know around this swanky boardroom but these dads were all making friends and having conversations again it's there's something there so i started putting them on again and again so the idea is we do different themes every every month and that grew to pre-pandemic we had seven groups um operating around sussex in different areas and it, yeah, it's grown as, as a community now, I think about 2,000 members all over. You know, we've got dadless oldies in Budapest, New Zealand, Australia, Germany. And it's it's wonderful because there's this army of middle-aged men or dads that have frankly been annoyed, or not annoyed, sorry, uh, ignored, that are all struggling. But we don't have those conversations because we're men. Hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of grown. There, there was never a, a, a plan or a strategy. It was just a series of the universe rooting for me. My ability to maybe shut out some of the noise, yeah. have some stranger com- uh, conversation with strangers and see things that maybe I've been too busy to realise before. Listening to you talk, Dan, on one hand, just sounds incredible. The way you talk about raving <laughs> bringing people together through raving it's amazing particularly for people who were um, younger folk in the 90s um, but yeah. afternoon raving with a social conscience that's a phrase that's going to stick with me um but it sounds like at, at the heart of it what you've become all about dan and where your real x factor lies if i can put it that way is in connecting people connecting people around a, a common cause and through that connection almost nurturing the permission for people to be themselves i think it's two two sides there's one that's galvanizing so with top rocking it was about you know there was wonderful people having amazing opportunities but just think you know give me an extra tenner give me an hour of your time and then building that together and then suddenly you've got an army 
with Dadless Soul, it started out because I was feeling lonely and, you know, feeling a bit out of place. But then, yeah, understanding that I was not alone and that's exactly what I felt. But through the the activities um, and maybe, you know, me being very open about what I was struggling with, even though on paper, you know, I was running this wonderful rave organisation and doing all these cool stuff. Um, you know, me putting my hand up, going, you know, I'm still struggling with this. I don't under that. I feel like a failure on this. People go, wow, you know, that's exactly how I feel. And it is, it's given me, it's given them a ticket to open up. So through the, the Dadless Soul community, but, you know, especially, you know, we've made it very commonplace for people to be exceptionally open. So, you know, if you go to a typical pub and see a group of fellas, you think, oh, they're talking about beer and football. Actually, we're talking about, you know, what's that, what's it like to become a stepdad? Um, what's it like to be, you know, a gay dad going through the adoption process? How do you cope when, you know, you, your teenager wants to change genders? You know, all of these very open conversations where normally there is nowhere to go for it to ask for advice, certainly not advice that would resonate. Yeah. Or the other, I don't know how I feel about this. And is it okay to say that? Absolutely, because there's no judgment here. But what we can do is maybe put you in touch with Fred over there that's already going through the same thing or has gone through the same thing. Um, yeah, we've got a community within that that, you know, they've got children with special needs. They have a, a completely different battle on their hands that is primarily ignored by society. Doing everything that you've done and the kind of journey that you've been on that you've been talking us through you've experienced a lot of change and the change is ongoing change is just no doubt part of your reality part of your everyday well lots of people when we, they talk about change they might say that they fear change itself whereas often would you agree that the reality for people who have done something like you've done and are continuing to do is that it's not the actual change that is scary frightening the most challenging it's the process of change so it's being in that state of neither here nor there the reason that i bring that up is 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 just to kind of turn that into a question for you i'd be interested to know what your experience has been but also um to understand how you have dealt with accepted approached a situation where there's all this great stuff kicking off and there's all this opportunity opening up around you and as you've been talking through it's almost like you've just made yourself available you've been yourself and it's just happening there must have been points when you thought crikey what what is this leading to how do i maintain some element of quote unquote control over this Uh, could you just 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 talk to us about what your experience has been around change and the process of change and that feeling of that we all have at some point help what is this leading to I think a lot of frustration, if I'm honest, because I have the ideas that going back, you know, when I started the blog and then it became a magazine and then it became the the content agency. I was thinking, yeah, brilliant. This is exactly what the missing piece actually is. And I should just focus on that. But then I have those other little voices with another idea. And I've had a history of coming up with good ideas, but not completing things. 
And that leads to more and more disappointment because I feel that, you know, I felt like I'm a failure. With change, there is about embracing it rather than fearing it. But the only way to sort of counter that is to maybe surround yourself with people that are open-minded and they will challenge those. So um, as another direct consequence of that weekend that I went on with the Happy Startup, you know, five years ago, I met a guy on the dance floor um, that set up a very successful digital marketing agency in Brighton and had almost semi-retired to Geneva because he didn't have to be day-to-day. And he invited me and four other entrepreneurs out there for a week in the mountains, um, hothousing our ideas and just having conversations. And again, by taking myself out of Worthing for a week, putting myself in this brand new space with these people that are all doing amazing things that I wouldn't have normally come into contact with. And, you know, trying to explain some of my ideas, which were far from fully formed. And, you know, hearing their positive reactions, you know, it gave me the, not to say internal fortitude for want of a better word, to go, you know, there is something here and it's okay if it isn't fully formed i've got to just let it breathe um and it's you know the seth godden or godden's uh and you just start starting yes i can't wait till this is fully formed because i don't know what it's being i'll just end up not doing anything so i create a you know a minimum viable product and stick it out there and see what you know the reaction is and i guess being a social enterprise, so essentially being not-for-profit, adds another layer to that. It was part of the, if you were somebody who was setting up a biz business and their primary aim was to create wealth, as in financial wealth, yeah. that might be, or that would be a primary driver that would p- probably get you through those times of doubt where it's a social enterprise, so there's no guarantee from a, a monetary perspective. How did you approach that side of things? If I look back, now I should have given up years ago because there was no money and I was running on fumes and favors. But it's that you know, I knew it was something, and the conversation I'd have strangers come up to me in the street and say, I love what you're doing, I love what you're about. This is amazing. And you don't normally get that in your day job, you know, if you're in a traditional career. Um, you get to know you a good job and it, it's okay. But to hear this fast, very different um, community or people from very different communities saying, yeah, I love this. This this is great. How can we get involved? How can we do more? I knew it was there. So I'm still maybe battling internally with what this will become. And certainly, you know, how to make it more financially stable because working in the non-profit industry, you're constantly relying on grant funding, which is harder and harder to come to. Um, but there's a the concept of social capital. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have the conversations or, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, HuffPost got in touch and did a documentary about us. And I got an email from somebody in Australia and I've just read this. Oh, no, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning dreading it. And I just read this and I love it. You've just 
opened up my eyes to what it can be. And it's like, wow. I'm one man in a small seaside town in Sussex, yet what I'm doing is resonating with somebody that's the other side of this world. Flipping heck. How many more people are there? And that's the sort of stuff that, the you know, the conversations I'll have with many, many of the other dadless oldies that are open up about some of the challenges they're having. And I was thinking, this is really healthy because this fella would either hit the bottle or, you know, get depressed or be struggling. Actually, through this wonderful community, it's okay to speak up. And I think um, even though this doesn't pay the bills, and it will probably be several years before it even touches the sides of what I've invested in terms of money and time, you know, if I was to cost it all up, it's in the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours, you know. But there, there, there is a, there's an intrinsic other value to that. Yeah, it's for the, I'd say that it's for the betterment of society because that sounds really poncy, but it, it genuinely is. that This is making a mark and this is resonating and this is going to leave an amazing impact. And I think, yeah. you know, if my, my time spent is doing that and maybe I don't have the five-bedroomed house with a fancy car. So, you know, I'm okay with that. Yeah, well, you're going to be leaving a real legacy that's going to last. That's far, about far more than money. Yeah, this is what I'm hoping. And there was another part that's why I haven't really touched on it. It's kind of um, when I was eight, my dad got custody of being my three sisters uh, because my mum at the time was really poorly. And in the 70s and 80s, that was really unheard of for a dad to get custody of his kids. So I saw almost firsthand of the, the struggles that my dad went through without any support so the other sort of layer of this is payback because i wasn't able to help then but i can now so if there's other men you know isn't we, we don't just work with you know single dads we you know it's dads from all over but it's essentially men that are struggling that don't have a voice and don't have a space to express themselves mm. yeah that, that's my sort of give back to my dad and my eight-year-old self looking ahead Dan what's the bigger vision so what do you dream of next for dad battle soul well we've got the um we're very fortunate we've made it through to the the final three of a national competition um with an organization called booster want to give away 20 grand which is brilliant because through lockdown obviously our events all got shelved. First few weeks, we went on to Zoom like every other bugger. And we had some, you know, good responses. We did um, an international play date. So we had dads from the States and one dad from Kenya take part um, on this sort of this Zoom play date. That died, you know, after a few weeks, everybody got Zoom for C. But then we started opening up, um, we got a piece of software called Remo, which allows um, a lot better user experience. And I just started putting on events just for dads in the evening, once a month on a Thursday, you know, bring in a musician, a stand-up comedian, um, but then having breakout spaces run by wellness experts and mental health experts. That's gone kind of well. So the idea is that we can get some investment. We can take this concept properly national, you know, and I can get the support because it's essentially it's me 
a couple of very hardworking volunteers and my partner running this. But I need some, you know, proper strategy work on it. And the idea is that we can run these online events for multiple types of organisations. That will allow us sort of the, the, the awareness and the research. So, you know, suddenly we've got 20 dads from Manchester turning up enjoying these things. Okay, guys, why don't you start a, you know, a real world play date? Because that's one been one of our challenges is actually doing our real world events in spaces that don't involve me. So the, I suppose the bigger dream is McDonald's. You know, there, there was 6 million dads in the UK, that were, you know, school-aged children. They're all struggling on a Saturday for things to do. This is very funky. It's very cool. And it, it's run by dads for dads. So there's no reason why they shouldn't be in towns and cities all over the country, all over Europe, you know, yeah, everywhere. So we can connect all of those people. Just like we did, you know, on our, our first international play date. It was wonderful for, you know, a white kid in Sussex to talk to, I think it was a, like a black dad in downtown Chicago. Yeah, and realising that they're very different lifestyles, very, you know, different outlooks. But that, that those challenges are still there, you know, and what brilliant education for the kids to be almost, you know, remember the, the adage where you'd have your French pen pal when you were a kid? This just almost supercharges that. <laughs> so we have the idea that we have this big ongoing community of dadless oldies actively you know, doing events, helping each other, getting together, you know, putting their backs into other community projects. So just like we did with the food drives with Top Rocking, suddenly if I've got, you know, two, three thousand dads that I can galvanise and they'll give me an hour, you know, I mean, we, we can make a real difference here. You talk with a real sense of energy and enthusiasm. And at the start of our conversation, you were telling us how, um, one of the things that you love to do is read biographies and you mentioned mm. of, of people who have a, a very purpose-driven and operate with a real sense of fire in their bellies. Yeah. Dan, you come across as one of those people, but we're all, you know, energy is finite. We all need yeah. time to rest and recuperate. How do you manage your own well-being? How do you take time away to recharge and to make sure that you stay centered within yourself? I don't. I'm bloody terrible at it, if the truth would be told. Um, and I know I should do more of it, but it's, I work four days a week in my my sort of day career, which is pretty involved, but actively helps me, you know, have great conversations and do purposeful work. Um, Dad LaSalle takes up my evenings and my quite a few of my weekends. I, I desperately need to do more on the, you know, the health side and the, the well-being but it's it's hard because a lot of this you know involves my hobbies so we just did a, a series of podcasts where I was interviewing dads within the arts about their stories and having some really you know interesting conversations and I think even though it's almost work related that's really nourishing I really like that as a hobby but um yeah, I'm very fortunate to live two minutes away from the sea. I try and get in the sea as much as I should, not as much as I could. And I've got I've got a wonderful supportive partner that gives me a kick up the backside and she'll actively, you know, come along and shut down the laptop 
and give me a telling off. And that's sometimes what I need. But the, I think it must be the same for what you guys are doing and for a lot of people who are listening to, especially if you're purpose-driven, it can become all-consuming. And yeah. yeah, I was burning. You know, I I'd do the school runs, go to work, finish early, have five of my son, put him to bed, and then start work again in the evenings. You know, a long period of time. So, yeah, in answer question, I need to do more of it. But I suppose there's always a reason not to. But it's like, well, if I can get this chunk of investment, then I can buy in some expertise to take this part of the plan away and give it to somebody else. Then I can take that chunk of the pie and give it to somebody else. So I'm not doing everything, but it's kind of waiting until that stage happens. And then I'll give myself some time off. But that's a saying out loud is terrible. Because it's like those people that will work 60 hours a week and go, don't worry, I'll relax when I retire. And they end up dying. So um, saying it out loud is all the therapy. I should not be doing it. We could have a whole new um, or a whole separate podcast episode about just that. But if I could just ask you one more question, Dan, that's if you were a mentor to somebody in your position mm. and you could only say one thing to them, what would you say to them? Say yes more. Say yes more. Absolutely. There's a book. What's he, the chap's name? Um, he was a stand-up comedian. He wrote The Yes Man. I don't know if you've ever read it. It was turned into a terrible film with Jim Carrey. But, um, yeah, I know the film. I'm not sure yeah. who wrote the book. Danny Wallace. Danny Wallace. Um, so he had a, he was a middle-aged man at the time, and he, he just shrunk his social life, and he'd say no to social occasions and say no to this and say no to that. Um. And then he had this weird experience with a stranger on a bus and he, he came, he was talking it over with a mate in the pub and gave him his chat, gave him a challenge. And he, I think it was like three months of just saying yes more. So rather than, you know, in that friend that you haven't heard of for ages, invites you out for the beer and you go, oh God, I'm not going to do it. Oh, too busy at work or I'm too busy at the van. Say yes. And just keep saying, well, it comes to a line because, you know, you've got X amount of time, but um can I choose two, actually? Go on then. Okay. Say yes and talk to more strangers. I like that one. And that's quite a neat segue into just t- touching on Make Life Click quite briefly, because that's something that one person in particular within the Make Life Click community has been doing more of and has been challenging the rest of us around. It's slowing down, living in the moment to the point where you say yes to talking to people that you wouldn't normally choose to talk to for whatever reason and that can often be just because you're in a hurry or because as you've said well the world has told me not to that's not what you do yeah he's been talking through some amazing things that have happened as a result of him saying yes um so i think that's a that's a really brilliant piece of advice very challenging piece of advice or it's very challenging encouragement you're obviously fairly new to make life click and its vision it's got a big vision. There's still lots of work to be done around yep. really realizing exactly what make life click is and what it, it could become. But what's piqued your interest in it? I was talking to you because you um, that, yeah, there are people like me, but just again, in very different spaces that want to do things differently or want to have, you know, other conversations, you know, again, our, our time is so short and we end up, you know, getting into daft arguments into, you know, with Facebook and stuff like that. 
So it's for people that want to do better or do good without being a, you know, a pesky do-gooder. And I think that, to me, when we, you know, we had our conversation, I'd like to find more of me or people, you know, like me, but from different areas that I wouldn't normally come across. Yeah, That, to me, is the exciting thing because we've all got our war stories and scars, but it's about those connections, the, you know, the random conversations where you can make something good out of it or you can unload to somebody that knows what it's like to wake up at three o'clock in the morning because I've had another great idea or <laughs> they're terrified of paying the bills and thinking, hey, um, I'd really like to talk to more people that may be on that edge of going from maybe the, the corporate world into more sort of purpose-driven ideas because I think yeah. that is terrifying. I didn't really have anybody to turn to when I was having these strange feelings until I met the happy startup guys. So, yeah, I, that I would also because almost not that I see myself as a, any kind of success story, but I'm certainly a survivor and I've done pretty well by being able to go, you know what? This, this life as it is at a moment, no more. There has to be something more. Yeah. We would love for Make Life Click to become a space where those conversations happen. I know when you and I talked more recently, we were almost thinking of it as like a roof. So there's all these great initiatives happening, Dadless Soul being one of them, but having some online space that acts as a roof over all of, of those things that in itself is purpose-driven um and I, I just love to think that make life click over the next weeks months could g- g- garner the interest and involvement of more people like you dan who are as you kind of put it sort of on the edge are asking that what if i wonder what would happen if and then are willing yeah. to take that step out to pivot their weight beyond the point of no return to say like let's link arms and let's see what could happen let's see what might happen if we just say yes more uh yeah i'd love i'd love to make life yeah. click to be part of that you just reminded me actually so my, my favorite film is the goonies <laughs> um and there is that scene that what if scene where they're upstairs in mikey's dad's uh, attic and they find the treasure map and everybody else is saying you know all our parents everybody else was you know we're looking for one-eyed willie's treasure and nobody ever found it and mikey just goes yeah but what if what if yeah. you guys? And it's like, yes, my son, I'm having some of that. But it's often where the fear of success stops people too, isn't it? It's like, no, it feels too big. It feels too open-ended. I can't control it. I can't. Yeah. Dan, what could be different if you made even more of your decisions based on the hope of what could be versus the fear of what could happen? Blimey. I I don't know actually because I'm starting to become a bit more strategic in my thinking. Not limit the the widening, but there, there's lots of projects out. You know that I've tried to do with Dadless Soul, like we uh, we we're going to create a, a weekend festival and stuff like that, and it came so close but didn't happen. But it didn't happen for some very good reasons that I refused to accept at the time. So I think still having that yes outlook, but I suppose still having a level of level of critical friendship 
So people that aren't yeah. afraid to ask you those hard questions, because I do have a habit of getting very enthusiastic and running mm-hmm. away. So it's not about the what if, it's going, yeah, what if, and, you yeah. know, that's it, I think. Brilliant. So it's almost like dreaming big, saying yes, but making sure you've got the right inner circle around you almost to ensure that you're getting the balance right between saying yes, but also being wise in the decisions that you're making wise only comes with experience i'd still be young be foolish be happy you know to a certain regard because you've got to try these things and if you wait for the wisdom to hit you it it sometimes it it won't and you go oh yeah i'm going to wait till i'm 65 to do that no sod it do it have a midlife crisis go and do (laughs) that now yeah yeah but maybe having having the wisdom in, in your inner circle as it were. So having, having a few critical friends who do carry that wisdom. So who can at yeah. least put the challenge in to cause you to think things through to the point that they need to be thought through to. Absolutely. That is where I was kind of on my own at the beginning. I did have an amazing life coach called Kate Tilston. I used to sit down with once a week and map things out with um, on a pad and, uh, you know, some help tips that I found incredibly helpful um so if anybody is looking for something like that search Kate Tilston or give me an email and I'll introduce you but yeah having that inner circle because it can be really lonely you know wanting to do something better especially if maybe the the people around you you know I, I came from a very small town there was a very small town mentality there and you know people that stood up stood or stood out you know weren't always particularly celebrated or uh, embraced so if you find yourself you know in that situation then you know there are some wonderful online communities like this one that are fueled by other people that you know maybe can give you that level of support where can people find out more about dadless soul and how can they get involved Dan? so the website is www.dadlessoul.com it's at dadless soul on most of the socials we've got a private facebook group um especially for dads sign up to our newsletters so you get access to all the events or just drop me an email you know if i've got time i'm i'm always open to have a cup of tea and have a chat and talk to some strangers (laughs) fantastic well thanks so much for talking to me um dan really enjoyed our conversation i know there'll be folk out there who will have really been able to empathize with a lot of what you've said and i know that you'll you you'll have really challenged people just before we go i just want to put a challenge back to you and that's You're before a hard we, task master, here we you? go so before we started recording you were mentioning that you haven't been for swim in the sea for a while but you're <laughs> planning to tonight so i'm going to get you live on the podcast just um making that commitment to once you've packed your things away you're going to go for yep. swimming the sea tonight i'd completely forgotten about that even though it was an hour <laughs> ago this is how i'm thinking god i let myself get talked into yes i don't know if the tide is actually in but what i will do if the tide is out i will nip down to the local pool and do a few levels as a promise to you fantastic fantastic so something good has already come from our conversation um, so yeah, yeah. It, that needs to happen you, sometimes you need that external voice to give you a push in the, the other direction because there is always another email to answer there's another event to promote or there's something else to do and I think you know, just through our conversation me saying out loud that I don't probably take as much care of myself that I should do 
actually sent a shiver down my spine. Really? Mm. Mm. So I'm taking a lot more from this conversation than you probably realised. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm really, really thankful for that. I'm really thankful for you making the time, Dan. And um, may there be many more conversations to follow, many more, and a lot more great stuff happen. Thank you. I think you guys are doing a great thing. So it's you know we can help. Yeah, even just spread the news or yeah, us having a brew, and you know having a level of critical friendship because you're having your own challenges. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Then fine. Just become a dadless old. It's fine. Yeah, and as at the end of the day, to me, for me, if I really boil it down, it's all about connections, connecting with the right people, saying yes more, as, as you've said, and just being open to what life offers you and believing in yourself too. I think there's that, but also just believe in the universe. You know, I know it sounds a bit hippy-dippy, but the universe wants you to do good and be happy, but sometimes it's so difficult to understand or even hear that because of all the noise around you to cut, cut out some of that noise yeah, and start hearing the good things yeah and I guess some people think they don't deserve it either whether they actually oh, yeah. say that out loud to themselves or it's just a more of an unconscious thing they don't feel it's they deserve it stuff good stuff happens to other people but not to me hell yeah I hear that a lot on that note Dan I will say thank you once again and look forward to many more conversations good man cheers mate Thanks for listening to the Make Life Click podcast. We hope it's been helpful for you. Please leave us a comment wherever you listen to podcasts and we hope you'll join us again next time.